Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks. I'm so glad you're here today. You know, I have another special guest for you. And I know, I know, I say that all the guests on this show are special, but there's something about Dr. Sonny Whedon, I can't quite encapture it in words. I can simply say that there's a spirit in this woman, this therapist that I really admire. I I feel the spirit when I'm with her, whatever that means to you, because she carries with her, I think, a grace and a sense of dignity around the work that I would love to see more of. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Sunny Whedon. Sonny Whedon is a clinical and forensic psychologist practicing in Marin County since 1980, and most re- recently dividing her time between Marin and her hometown of Newport Beach. Woohoo! Not far from me. Dr. Whedon treats individuals, couples, and families with a wide variety of presenting concerns in her practice. She's also author of the award-winning book, Many Blessings, A Tapestry of Accomplished African-American Women, and co-authored chapters on Diagnosis and Group Therapy, for the award-winning book, Making Advances, A Comprehensive Guide for Treating Female Sex and Love Addicts. Her most recent book is actually a workbook entitled Eight Ways to Well-Being for Recovering People. I hope we're going to talk about that. It is designed for individuals and groups to optimize mental health and is being used as a core curriculum in both inpatient and outpatient treatment. And finally, I just got to say one of the things that makes Sonny so special, she has twice been invited as a presenter by His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama, to the Tibetan Medical Society Conference in India. I'm going to let you say where, Sonny, to speak about mental health issues from a Western perspective. And that's where she first really conceptualized and then later presented eight ways to well-being. Dr. Whedon, welcome. Thank you, Rob. I'm glad to be here with you today. And thank you for your um, high praise for me and my spirit of healing. Thanks. It's very nice. Well, I think it's what you, you know, we all carry a certain something with us when we walk in the room. And I have to say, when you walk in the room, I think think powerful women, I think spirituality, and I think about connection. That's what I think about when I see you. So those are good things. Very good things. Yes. And I I love it that we've had many adventures together, Rob. Well, a lot of folks who come on the show, Dr. Whedon, are people that I've known at conferences or we've gone on retreats together or, you know, I really try to pick people who I've had a personal experience of their strengths, where I've had a personal experience of their strengths and and you have a whole lot of them. So let's talk about what made you write a book of wellness for recovering people. It seems like 
you know, going through the therapy and the 12 steps and whatever it is we do, that we should kind of get there. Uh, Did you feel like something was missing from the process that you saw people going through? Well, I think it would be best, Rob, for me just to tell you how this workbook came to pass, because I think the answer to your question is in that. So I had a wonderful mentor, Dr. Angelus Arian, a cultural anthropologist. And before Angelus died several years ago, she said to me, Sonny, I want you to meet Dr. Roger Walsh. He's a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a researcher at University of California at Irvine. And I thought, I I wonder why I'm meeting him. I mean, he's a great person. I've read his books, many of them, and articles. But he's an academic, and I'm a clinician, and I wasn't quite sure what Angelus had in mind. So I said, well, that's lovely. I'd love to meet with Dr. Walsh, but why am I meeting him? And she said, well, I think you're going to work with him. Hmm. And I thought, well, okay. I mean, if Angela says I should meet him, I should meet him, but I'm not sure why. And I met Roger at a fundraising event. He was raising money to bring Eight Ways to Wellbeing to PBS as a PBS special. But you know, those things are quite expensive to produce and never quite came up with the millions of dollars for it. And so that was just kind of that in my mind. And then, as you said, I was invited to speak, to be a speaker at the Tibetan Medical Conference. Uh, the, the medical society is called Mensikong in Dharamsala, India. And I said, yes, I would love to. And they give you a topic that you are to speak on. So let's see if I can tell you my topic. It's quite complicated. Uh, Remedies for Disturbing Factors in Body-Mind Life. Okay, I get that. Yeah, Remedies for Disturbing Factors in Body-Mind Life. And I thought, what am I going to present to this international audience? Because, you know, so much of our work in psychology is culture bound. Mm-hmm. And I, I want this to be something that is not culture bound that will have relevance to um, an international audience. And so I thought, oh, Roger's work, Eight Ways to Wellbeing, because his work was, first of all, it was evidence based. He did voluminous research and he was looking at what are the things we can do in terms of lifestyle, our everyday lifestyle habits that will support and optimize, make better our mental health. So I had gone to his website, Eight Ways to Wellbeing. I had read the material. It's very practical. And it's foundational, as it turns out. What does that mean, foundational? Can you explain to folks? It underlies all the various kinds of psychotherapy uh, interventions that we do because our daily healthy habits support our mental health as well as our physical health. And so Roger had looked into, okay, what are the lifestyle habits that will support our mental health and will sometimes help our mental health even more than medication or in place of medication? You know, that there are things we can do of our own volition if we just know what they are. So I asked Roger, could I present this at the Tibetan Medical Society? And he said, oh, yes, it's yours. Take my video off my website and you can present it if you like, just do whatever you want. So I did that. It was very well received. They liked it. Every I got great questions from the audience. They were they were very very receptive, especially to the idea that you know many of the people in, that are that are serving internationally are serving clientele audiences people who do not have loads of financial resources. So they're not ever going to be able to go to treatment. And so, what can they do to help themselves? All right, what are the things they can do? 
So when I was on my way home from that conference, I was thinking, this is great material. I want to make it operational so that people have access to it. And so much of my work is in the recovering community. I thought, how can I pitch this to the recovering community so that they too can learn what can I do in addition to whatever else I might be doing, traditional treatment, 12-step meetings, uh, medication, whatever it is, what can I do that gives me the best chance for having good mental health as well as good physical health? And I'm thinking that knowing you a little bit, Dr. Reed, and that you're thinking not so much about just kind of getting by and not using, but you're thinking about how can people thrive, not just survive, but thrive, right? That is exactly right. And so Dr. Walsh had identified these eight lifestyle habits that support good mental health. And I'm going to tell you what they are. Can we go slow so everyone can write them down? We can go slow, and also they can get the workbook and keep track of their own progress. Absolutely. We'll get to that in a minute. So tell us, what are the eight? What are the eight? All right. They are in no particular order. So one is not more important than the other uh, in general. And, and actually, before we do this, I'm going to cut you off really quickly, because I know that everybody's waiting for this these eight things. But I want to ask a question about that. You said something earlier about that caught my eye, my ear. I, I wrote it down. You said so much of what we do in therapy is culture bound, and I'm curious about that um, because I, I understand that what these eight things that you're about to talk to us about are ways of healing that transcend culture. I assume transcend religion and are just basic human ways for people to heal, no matter where they live, no matter who they are. But I'm I'm just curious about that. What what? Tell me more. Well, yes, you're exactly right. These are these are healthy habits, lifestyle habits that um, are cross culturally relevant. Anyone can do them. They don't necessarily cost much, other than in the area of nutrition, you're going to be buying food, obviously. But in general, they're habits. Now, in terms of cross cultural, we know that that as therapists, Rob, that we have to tune our therapy, our psychotherapy, to the culture of the person or persons that we're working with. Can you say more about that? So, so what would be a reason why I would need to, as a therapist, attend to, and it isn't just, I think, like ethnic, it could be you're from a Latino culture or you're from an, an American, Native American culture, but could also be uh, gay culture, lesbian culture, or, or even online cultures. But what is it about culture that is so important uh, to keep us on the right track when we're helping people? I think culture can be a difficult thing to define in words. <laughs> you know, um, it's so intrinsic to who, who we are that oftentimes we don't see it until we notice that we're not, we don't feel a connection to the person we're talking to or who is talking to us. Well, you know, when you when you talk about cultural norms um, or things that are culture bound, I'll tell you what I think of. When I was in uh, I was in Sweden a couple of years ago doing a uh, project for a gentleman owned a treatment center, and I was developing treatment for him. And he said to me, "I have this beautiful home, and I own this treatment center. I want you to come back and meet the family." So there I was in Sweden, and I went back to this man's house, and he said, "Now I want you to see our sauna. We're so proud of our sauna." And then he proceeded to take off his clothes and get in the sauna, and he said, "I want you to get into and enjoy my sauna." And then within a minute or two, his wife got in, and then his daughter came home from high school, and she got in the sauna. 
sauna with her boyfriend. And then grandma got in and I thought, this is not the kind of culture I'm used to because I'm sitting here naked and all these people are sitting here naked and they don't seem to be upset by it, but it's freaking me out. Exactly. So tell me how, how does that work? Like, what does that mean culturally bound? How can it be that something is so fine with some people and not with others? I don't, I don't get it. Well, it's what, what we assume to be customary and normal. All right. Whatever we assume to be customary and normal for us. So this is what you're saying that if I were to have someone come over to my house in the United States from Sweden and they said, oh, I'd like to take off my clothes and get in your sauna, that they might not quite understand American culture. And and they might actually think I was rude for not inviting them into their sauna, when for me, it's like, I'm not getting naked with anybody I don't know well. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's okay. exactly right. Good. And there are myriad, uh, there are myriad aspects of culture. Could be around food. Could be around exactly what you're talking about. Issues of the body and nakedness. All sorts of things that you wouldn't know until you've experienced it, and you experience it as oh, this is odd or different, or this is not right, perhaps. And the reason therapists need to be attentive to culture then is so that we don't make mistakes assuming that something that we believe to be true for where we live should be the same for someone who lives somewhere else. That's right. You know, Rob, I, my, my friend in India, Lama Tenzin Shogyal, will be having a very, what appears to me to be, an extremely intense conversation with a taxi driver or someone. Very close, their faces are very close together. To me, they appear to be yelling at each other. And Lama will turn to me and say, Sonny, there's nothing wrong here. This is just how we do it. It's funny, you know, you say that because when I go to certain parts of Southern Europe and I see men holding hands or men walking down the street arm in arm, well, in America, it probably would mean they were gay, but in Europe, it may just mean they're really close friends. So this is the stuff you're talking about. Could be simple and small, could be a really big deal, but you don't want as a therapist to read in or... So tell me, now I really want to know, what are some of the universal things that transcend culture that help people to heal? So I'm going to start with nutrition, Rob, because particularly here in the U.S., but certainly in other places, because this is a global issue, having good, nutritious, pure food is important. And here in the States, anyway, I'll just speak about that because that's what I know the best. Uh, fast food is rampant. It's on every street corner. And many people, many of my patients anyway, don't understand that they're, they may be filling their stomachs, but they're not getting any nutritional uh, value from it. So the first, one of the first chapters is on nutrition with a lot of information about how to read food labels and how to feed yourself well. You're, you know, and you're so right, Dr. Whedon, because it, it is it transcends culture. I've, I've seen people eating bad fried sugary food all over the world, not just in America, and, uh, and they look just as miserable as I do sometimes. So that transcends culture, absolutely. And we're knowing more and more, there's more and more research that is showing us that nutrition, good nutrition is so important for recovery from any malady, physical or mental, that we have to feed people well in order to help them heal. Well, and if we, and I'll touch on briefly, if you think about epigenetics, which is the expression of our genes, people who experience better nutrition are going to have healthier gene expression. So it, our actual evolution is involved. That's correct. So first of all, good nutrition and, and how to help people know what good nutrition is. You know, some, I find so many of my patients don't really understand how to feed themselves wisely and well. 
You know, can I say something to you about that? Because I was actually recently, um, I was in a, a southwestern state. I was kind of in the middle of the desert and I was teaching and we were kind of in a more isolated area. And I noticed that every single restaurant was fried food, hamburgers, pizza, uh, fried chicken, waffles. It was truly a situation where I couldn't, I ha would have had to leave town to have a healthy meal. And so I do want to say sometimes we are so surrounded by dis-ease that we don't have the choice. It's a lot more work to be healthy. And that's really unfortunate. Right. That's correct. So the, that's, that's the first chapter in the book. Number two. Number two, exercise. We know more and more that exercise keeps the brain healthy, that we are meant to move, and that we need to help ourselves and our patients get out and walk or exercise every single day, that it leads to brain health. But Sunny, I was not designed this way. I, I swear I was really made to sit rocking back, rocking back and forth and reading the Talmud. I, I was not designed to be running at the gym or running down the street. Or So what about those of us who just feel like exercise is nice for other people? Well, you know, Rob, the fact of the matter is exercise will stave off dementia. And that's certainly a mental health issue, correct? So uh, you and I are similar. I was raised with a handicapped sister, and so we were not encouraged to exercise, certainly, because if you exercise, then she is left behind. So it's probably my, of the eight ways, that's probably my biggest challenge. Okay, so we got to challenge each other, but we'll do that offline. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. What is number three? Yeah, number three, relaxation. What do you do? Uh, in my workbook, I wrote about mindfulness, which many people are talking about now. But what do you do to relax? And let me ask you, how do you define relaxation? Well, it's about rest without sleeping. All right. So sleeping is one thing. If I'm going through a whole year of a Netflix series in six hours that I've been dying to see and I don't leave the couch, am I relaxing? Probably, yes. If okay, good. Yeah. I like that kind of relaxation. Thank you. If you're enjoying it and you're relaxing, great. So again, I've emphasized mindfulness in the chapter on relaxation, but it can be anything. For me, it's reading. If I can get a good book and kind of lose myself in it, it's very relaxing to me. Fourth would be recreation. And this is really an important aspect, especially for people who have issues with addiction. Okay, wait, what, now tell me what you mean by recreation. Because to me, it sounds like, like phys ed, like something I learned in sixth grade. Recreation period will start at three. So yes, I know. what do you mean? What exactly do you mean? Well, let's think about it as what do you do for fun? And uh, for some people, going out and playing soccer is fun. It's not for me, but uh, fun can be whatever you define as fun. Well, wait a minute. What if what if I have fun drinking and having sex and doing drugs? What's wrong with that? Exactly. That's why that's why you need my workbook so that you can find healthy means of having fun. So I guess that isn't the healthiest way to have fun. Probably not. Probably not. 
So the way each chapter of the workbook is set up is I, I tell you why this is important, what the research says, and it's in layman's terms, so it's not difficult to understand. I make some suggestions that I've come up with for how you might go and have some fun. And knowing you, they're going to be kind suggestions, they non, are. non-shaming suggestions, loving. Absolutely. Mm-hmm suggestions. And then there's an area for you to say what your ideas are. Oh, so you can write some stuff down. Lots of room for writing your ideas and exploring and keeping track of, was it actually fun? Do I want to do it again? Or no, not so much. I'm going to try something different. Okay. Can I just stop for, I got to stop us for a second because I love, this is fun. I'm having a good time and uh, talking to you. Thank you for Dr. Whedon. But at the same time, I have to say that as you roll through the next, you've already rolled through four areas. And my first thought listening to each one of them was shame. My first thought was, oh, I'm not exercising enough. Oh, I'm not eating right. Oh, I should be having more fun. I work too much. And if I'm feeling that way, I can only imagine everyone listening might go to that negative place. Like you say, here's a good thing that you should be doing more of. And the person thinks, oh, I'm less than because I'm not doing that. Before we get to the next four, how would you, I mean, how could you help me deal with my guilt, Dr. Whedon? (laughs) (laughs) Rob, you're funny. Well, I think that when when I'm encouraging people to look at these things, they can do one of two things. They can choose the area that is easiest for them, that is already an easy thing. And they can start there just to enhance that particular area. Or they they feel like a challenge, they can challenge themselves and say, you know what, I think I'm going to work on this recreation thing and see what I can do to put more laughter in my life because laughter is good medicine. Oh, okay. So I'm already a little off because my brain said, I've got to do all these eight things at the same time. I've got to change all of these things at the same time because then I'll be even better if I do them all at once. That's how addicts think, I have to tell you. So So first of all, you need to understand this is the work of a lifetime. This is about establishing good habits and it doesn't happen in 30 days of treatment. These are just things that you work on from over a course of time and to know about so that you attempt to add more balance in your life and things that will enhance your well-being, your overall well-being. But there's no there's no demand. You just made me think, Dr. Whedon, that maybe the person who says, I'm willing to try and maybe just one little thing each week, like I'm going to change something about my diet or I'm going to walk three days a week instead of just going home and sitting, that it's not just what they do, but their desire to do it actually changes them too. Like the desire to want to be healthier and better, that in itself helps, right? Yes. And you know, I had an interesting conversation this morning with a former NFL football player who was very famous in his day. And he said, I'm, I'm getting healthy again, Sonny. I've lost 50 pounds by eating better. And now I'm going to set some goals around exercise. I'm making a goal to go to the gym one day a week to do aerobics and one day a week to lift some weights. That's it. Because if I set a goal for more than that, I think I I think I'll just be overwhelmed and I'll fail. Now this is a famous athlete, all right? And he wants to get in better health overall. He's also a recovering person with over 30 years recovery. And he's saying, "You know what? If I can do one day a week, I'll work from there." So I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's interesting because I'm listening to this and I'm thinking a lot of the solutions that I grew up learning were going to make me healthy were sort of taught as sudden sudden transitions. And that's why I'm thinking that you've got to quit smoking. 
you've got to start exercising. You've got to stop eating sugar. It all felt very black and white, very much like a demand. And you were either doing it or you weren't. I think that's part of how our culture presents these issues to us. It becomes guilt, shame, right, wrong. But that's you're not really framing it that way. No, I'm framing it as let's take stock here and see what you would, some item that you would like to change, you're willing to change or work toward changing in a way that that works for you. And you can do this uh, with a buddy like you and I can team up and say, okay, how was your week on exercise, Rob? And we can check in or you could do it just by yourself or just have the information available to you so that you know when you are ready, it's there. Mm. Number five. Uh, The next one is relationship. And actually, in the beginning, I mistakenly said one is not better than the other. But the research says that relationship is the most important in terms of mental health. That the more positive interactions we have, human interactions in a given day, the better off we will be mentally. Did you know, Dr. Whedon, that there was a a study on um, grocery store clerks and they were measuring their biological and neurobiological reactions. And it was very clear that the grocery clerk who had someone meet her or him in the eye and say, thank you, had a much happier and more pleasant experience than the person who didn't meet someone in the eye who said, thank you, that the simplest of exchanges actually improve our emotional and mental well-being when we connect to people. Exactly. We know that oftentimes partnered people tend to live longer But it's not essential. What is essential is to have human interaction, lots of it every day. So I encourage people, you know, just what you said, say hello to the grocery clerk, say hello to the mail person, compliment somebody out on the sidewalk about the sweater that they're wearing that you really like, whatever it is, so that you have human contact every day and plenty of it. And also I talk about if you are partnered, Try to do some education around what makes for a good relationship. There's so much material out there that is supportive. And good relationship skills are typically not inborn. They're learned over time how to be a good partner and how to find a compatible partner or no one when you see one. So I have a, I have a good friend who's a pastor and um, he marries a lot of people. And he says, you know, I want you to add up all the money you're spending on this wedding, how much are the invitations, the ring, the clothes, the flowers, and spend an equal amount on education for marriage or education for partnership. Oh, yes. Good advice. Good advice. Number six, time in nature. Nature is healing. So I'm thinking you're saying is if I could combine some of these, like I could go for a walk in a beautiful place on my way to dinner. With a a friend. (laughs) With a friend and then walk back. That's right. Woohoo! I like this already. Exactly. This isn't so hard. No, it's not. So it's important to get outdoors every day. We were living an awful lot of our lives indoors under artificial light and looking at computers. And so to get outdoors every day for a little while, to take that walk, maybe with a friend, and just observe nature, there's also a fair amount of metaphor in nature. So I oftentimes will say to my patients, if, you're ha- if they're having trouble with change, just go outside and watch nature for a half an hour because nature is changing all the time and you're going to learn some valuable lessons. In the fall, I will remind my patients, watch the trees drop their leaves. They do it gracefully. They don't seem to complain. The new, the new spore, the new leaf is always there before the old leaf drops. 
And, you know, nature is always changing. It's a good thing for us to be in when we are in change. Well, I know for me that being near the ocean reminds me of how small my problems really are when I look at the enormity of the sea. I'm the same. Number seven. Number seven, giving back. A spirit of altruism. So doing something for other people, another person, the community that you do not get paid for. And sometimes people get a grandiose idea about, oh my God, I have to save the orphans of the world. Start a foundation. Yeah. And I say, (laughs) um, how about getting an extra muffin when you're at Starbucks and bringing it to your neighbor? Um, How about just making a phone call to someone you haven't talked to for a while and asking how they are? You know, it's like they say, Paul, politics are local and maybe all love can be local. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be thoughtful and free. It can even be giving a phone call to that person who you're thinking of and then you think, oh, they don't want to be bothered. Call them anyway. Yeah. You'll be surprised how much they're grateful to hear from you. Well, and you know, there's such a good feeling that comes from uh, giving back, Rob. I have two prisoners that I write to. One is a distant relative and one is a friend. And it's so interesting because, you know, people don't write letters much anymore, but prisoners write letters. And so I get letters. And it's such a thrill to go through all this junk mail that, you know, we all get and get a letter that's actually written on a piece of paper and has interesting things to tell me about. But what you're saying is it doesn't matter who you're communicating, who you're reaching out to, what you're giving. It's the fact that your heart is open and you're, you're thinking of something beyond yourself. Correct. So now we're coming to the last one, which is spirituality. And um, it's something that's very much emphasized in 12-step programs. And I'll tell you what the research says, what Roger's research says. It says that we're not talking about just, well, I feel spiritual. It's really a spiritual practice of some sort that's definable. It may be a religious practice. That's one way of doing it. It may be something you've made up your own, a spiritual reading or a time that you've set aside for paying attention to your dreams or writing in your journal. But it's something, if if it's a religious practice, it needs to be a religion that emphasizes love, kindness, compassion, generosity, as opposed to hellfire and damnation. And acceptance. And acceptance. Absolutely. So again, we know the research says people who have, who attend religious services once a week live seven years longer than the average. Very interesting. So I think it doesn't matter. I think it has to be something that is meaningful to us and provides us a sense of um, a search for the divine, whatever that means to us. Okay, Dr. Whedon, first of all, I, I love that you did this. What you've done is you've pulled together the eternal wisdoms from all of our collective consciousness, whether it's a religion or books on how you've pulled it all together into really what mom told us to do to take good care of ourselves. You know, make sure you eat well, get some rest, get some exercise, hang out with good people that love you. I mean, these are not this is not rocket science, but in the world we live in, it becomes so hard to practice. So this is my question for you. And it's it's the number nine one kind of. What I see a lot of folks do, it's kind of like a diet. They buy a book and they say, oh my goodness, there's such great things and it's going to make me feel But I'm going to get to that right away. I'm going to tell my friends. And then they do it for a week or two and then it goes away. And so I know this isn't really number nine, but the question that comes up for me is discipline. I can think back on times when I've started something with excitement and then given it up so quickly that I ended up being disappointed in myself for not having more discipline. 
how do you deal with, let's say I make a commitment that I'm going to walk for an hour each evening after work, and I do for a couple of days, and then it slacks off, and then I just start beating myself up for not doing the thing I promised myself I would do. To me, that seems like a family, a fairly standard trajectory. How do I stay out of that? First of all, I want to back up and say, I'm getting old now, Rob, but when I was young and in grade school and even in high school, there was a health curriculum. The public schools in California taught a health curriculum. I had a health book. And so I learned some of these concepts in school. I haven't seen a health book in a long time in the public schools. So I think, first of all, this information needs to get out there to the general public. And though I pitched this particular workbook to the recovering community, I'm writing another one right behind it that's for, for a general audience, and then another one that's for adolescents. Good. So, But in terms of discipline, this workbook is designed especially to be used with a buddy or in a group. Now, you can do it individually, but you're making a good point when you say, well, what's going to hold me accountable? And in the beginning of the workbook, there's a couple of pages that are devoted to who's going to be a support system for you? Where are you going to get support so that if you take up one of these new lifestyle habits, these therapeutic lifestyle habits, Who's going to help you stay accountable to yourself? And one of the things I do, I have a best friend, Susan Johnson, and every new beginning of the new year, Susan and I sit down and we write, not not New Year's resolutions, but our goals, what we want for ourselves in the coming year. And then we periodically check in and say, okay, how are we doing? And if our goal, I guess it would come under recreation because there's a lot of fun stuff. Like we like to go to the theater. How many times have we gotten to the theater? We've set some goals around that. So I think it helps to have someone, someone in your life, your partner or a buddy uh, out there, a group that will help you stay accountable and be a little more disciplined and not worry when it doesn't work, but pick it up again. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of some very, very healthy people I know, certain people I know who just had great parents and they've never been depressed and everything went well and they've never been addicted. And I, gosh darn, if I wasn't thinking this one friend of mine said recently, like, I think was thinking of getting more exercise and getting out and getting, losing a little weight. So I grabbed a friend and we've been walking for the last six weeks, three times a week. And I thought, that's what healthy people do. They don't necessarily even to be need to be reminded. They just figure out what they need and they move into it. I thank you, Dr. Whedon, for the rest of us, for reminding us of what matters and how to get back into our soul and our place of that we all have of peace. It's within each one of us. And and you're a reminder of that, that spiritual being that you are. So thank you, Dr. Whedon. Let me know how people can reach you or find you, get the workbook, any of those things. Well, there are several ways. First of all, before I talk about how they can reach me, they can go on YouTube and type in eight ways to well-being for recovering people. And a very nice 15-minute video will pop up that I wrote the dialogue for. It's my voice. And um, the film was gifted to me by a very nice filmmaker. So that's a very nice introduction, just something to take a look at. But the ways that they can get in touch with me are through my website, drsunnyweeden.com. And it's D-R-S-O-N-N-E-E. W E E D N, no vowel between the D and the N dot com. Uh, they can reach me by telephone, 415 328 6765, or through my email, drsunny at aol.com. 
I'm in Marin County three days a week in my office, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm in Newport Beach Thursday and Friday every week. They can find me either place. Dr. Reed, I, I hope you'll come back and talk to us more. I know you travel the world and you bring the healing of other cultures to us. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about your travels. And I think you have a special thing with India and you. So I think that will really interest some people the next time we get to meet. That would be great. Thanks so much, Rob, for having me on your podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.